I would like to ask you all to sit and ask our distinguished guest to begin his presentation. You think I'm out of my mind. Explorer, a novelist, and an adventurer. A traveler, an explorist, and... Accomplished errorist. You shouldn't excite yourself. Another day to start all over again. And welcome to another episode of the Errorist Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Crane. And today, I'm having something of a uh, sort of long overdue conversation that was supposed to go down a couple years ago um, in the before times, if you can remember that, with a guy who has, uh, I don't know, almost nearly ruined any aspirations I had for returning to acting uh, because of an audition tape that he created. We'll get there. Um, But he's also a guy who managed to keep it funny uh, for all of us during quarantine. And as a result, I don't know, after a hard graft, he's, uh, he's enjoying a pretty sweet gig on ABC Station 19. The one and only, and uh, hopefully Chris Pratt himself, Shane Hartline. Thank you so much for being here, man. Oh, man, I'm excited to be here. When, when you Thanks. asked me, I was really excited. I mean, mainly just mainly just because, like like you said, we were supposed to have a conversation several years ago. Something yeah. happened. Um, I can't remember but what now, that was. Like, yeah. I, I, forget, I forget. Yeah, I forget, um, And it's better that we do forget. Um Agreed. But now I think this is how most people have conversations now. I think, you know, I think we're going to get to a place in five to 10 years and I'm totally fine with it where everyone just has a podcast and you don't have to like go out into public and do coffee. You just go on your friend's podcast and then the world just it's I mean, the the trend is heading in that direction. Yeah, it's it's almost like speed dating, right? You know, you're going to you're going to have like a, a marathon chat for an hour and then you're not going to talk to the guy for another, I don't know, 6 months or 3 yeah. years. I guess yeah. it really just depends, huh? Yeah, and I mean, that's where I mean, I think the world is heading is like conversations can't even happen unless we can, you know, um monetize uh, it monetize it create <laughs> content with it i know and i'm you know you know me you see all the stuff i put out oh, i dude. am totally fine with that no um, you are you are no probably judgment. one of the hardest workingest guys out there right now oh, um and it's it's well, been thank great. you but it's been great you know to see you sort of coming up and it's not oh, it's not because of any luck you've really you're kind of writing the playbook on how persistence is key and how oh, thanks, man. <laughs> no, really. I mean, it, it's great. Like watching, you know, you were so stoked, man. And I think it's because you're a really humble person too, deep down inside. You're great with the fans. You are super humble. Like watching your follow counts, your like counts, you know, you were stoked at 2000. You were great at, you know, 10,000. <laughs> and now what you're like um, a gnat's ass away from, uh, from a million followers on TikTok, right? Yeah. It's, it's so trippy. And I mean, and it's it's trippy for several reasons. I mean, I I am a very very early adapter of like video platforms. I was mm-hmm. I was on on YouTube like within a couple months after like I think it opened in yeah. like 2005 and it just Something. blew me away because before then it was just like if you wanted to get video out there, it was not an easy process. It was you had to like have a website and people downloaded your videos and I did right. that, but it's just YouTube changed everything in my mind. I think the world is looking at entertainment different. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's traditional film and television, but now there's the internet, right? And I think there's three avenues of content. And right. you know, I've always been tried. To, I've always tried to be open minded of all those platforms. Obviously, mm-hmm. like traditional film and television, but sure, you know. The in the internet is just. I mean, what is it going to be in the next five ten years? Where does it go from here? I don't know, but I, I imagine if they're like me, anything like me, their sod is going to be immaculate. Um, there will be no house project left undone. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, like my consumption habits for television were were gross before. I mean, um, and this is before the days oh, of, sure. of binge watching. The only thing you could binge watch was like a, an I Love Lucy marathon. Which yeah, yeah, was yeah. a gift in and of itself. But now, I mean, you you can, uh, uh, let's say a show comes out that you're a big fan of, you can take the day off work and just knock it out. That's sort yeah. of the instant gratification thing we're in. And it's the same thing with YouTube. I find myself watching more review shows, uh, photography review, car review. I mean, all of my interests are, are, are encapsulated <laughs> on the internet. 
Oh, and, sure. And it's just great to see people breaking down, mostly things that I'll never be able to afford or have. But it's great to have I this think, sort of interactive encyclopedia now. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I think I watch people speak about video games more than I actually even play video oh, games. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You no, know what I mean? That's like, my household for sure. That's, but, that's where yeah, we are. Yeah, dude, it's, 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 it's to circle back. It's so great to finally like connect and like catch up and, you know, do everything we were supposed to do. Until, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Now you're a busy man. I mean, if I came down to LA, would you even have time for me? That's the question. Oh, of I'm going to put you on the spot I, right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. You get you get top priority schedule, my man. Oh, amazing. Any, anything. Amazing. Anytime. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you all about how to be a vanilla uh, suburban uh, dad. I'm, that's, that's my A game right now. I don't know about parenting, but I've got the lawn, you know, I've got the I've got the the polo shirts and the there you go and the large vehicle. It says um, I'm no fun anymore. But uh, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> I do like to get out to the city every once in a while and have some fun. So that'd be great to connect. Yeah, man. Let's so, do it. So let's go way back. We don't have to go back to conception, but we, let's we can. I I know we can with you. With you, I'm sure we can. But let's <laughs> uh, let's go back a little ways. I mean, you're a funny guy. Number one, have you well, always you. been funny? You know, I. I mean, my favorite earliest memories are just like being goofy in front of my grandparents. Okay. And I think, I think, you know, everybody always is like, how did you like, when did you know you want to become an actor? And I think truthfully, like, if you can remember that moment, then like, good on you. Right. But I think most people can't, I mean, I at least can't remember that exact moment. Right. I mean, I was, I mean, the movies like the Ghostbusters and like things like that were just magical to me. But like my, I have such early memories of just dancing to Elvis and being goofy in front of my grandparents and just their reaction was so addicting. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I parallel went, lives. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, I just like, I think you just realize like you see kids on television and I just, I wanted to be a kid actor, mm. but I'm, I was from Florida and, you know, before I was right before the internet even happened and it's like, how do you do that? So yeah. like, I would constantly just be like, mom, I want to, I want to get on Nickelodeon. Cause they were, I mean, they were literally <laughs> shooting right up the street and she's like, all right, well, I'll look in the newspaper if I see something. But you know, we didn't, we didn't have any idea how to get in the industry. We weren't right. a town, uh, where no, there no. was any knowledge of that. No. I used to literally I used to call Universal Studios as a kid and pester people like, how do I get on TV? How do I get on TV? Did you guys have any openings and, for some acting yeah. jobs? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good for you. But yeah, I mean, I just really early memories of just making people laugh and that, yeah. that feelings has stayed with me. It, but you know what? It's not, it's not something that is um, necessarily unhealthy either. I mean, we, we have a purpose. If you're entertaining someone, there's so much satisfaction. Yes. It can be sort of self-serving um, to some extent. You know, you're, as long as your value doesn't go along with it, you know, as long as your value as a, as a human being isn't based on the carrots and tokens that you get for, for entertaining people, you know, you, you, you yeah. will find meaning. You'll find, like, in some cases, profound meaning. You know, like, let's say you're in a show and it really strikes a chord and the audience loves it. You feel that you can't duplicate that. You can't duplicate that sensation. But at the same time, like if you've ever had a Sunday matinee or Thursday night performance where, you know, people, they know they have to go back to work the next day. They're not that cool. Like they're not really going to be mm -hmm. that into what you're doing. They're more like, you know, got their arms crossed and they're like, come on, entertain me. You know, <laughs> you can't let those things get you down. But you you will That's never right. lose that bug. I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it. I, I hope mean, I don't, you know, and no. like, uh, you know, I think that. It's, you know, the platform is constantly changing, but I, I like I said, I've always tried to be, or the, I, I should say the stage, the stage is always changing. And like, I just, you know, in the past four or five months got into stand up for the very first time. And I was doing improv before, but right. just doing like stand up for the first time is like, you know, something for years I just, I was honestly just terrified of and made every excuse in the book not to right. do it until like somebody finally came to me and was like, do you want to open on my tour? And I was just like, Oh my God. Um, and like forced me into it. And I'm so glad that he did. Um, because I, you know, I'm looking at, it, it's just another stage. It's it another is. platform. It's, uh, another place to be goofy. Well, it's another place to, to kind of work the characters too, that you've, you've got hundred percent. You've got quite a few. 
characters, don't you? <laughs> like so, so yeah. when you when you first started on TikTok, what was the aim? Was it for you to create a, sh- a showcase for those those characters that you created or did you just want to get out there? Did you want to do something that was viral? Yeah, I think every I think every platform, I mean, acting's always been my first thing, so okay. Every platform is just kind of, I've looked at it as like, oh, this is like a TV channel that I can showcase showcase myself and it might lead to opportunities. I mean, yeah. truthfully, the reason I got into, or the way I got into the entertainment business was I, I started on YouTube and right. um, my first theatrical agent like noticed me on YouTube and that's how I got into the business. And, you know, so I've looked at every, every platform. I, I haven't uh, judged a single one of them as just like a, a showcase. And when I started TikTok, it um, was the same. It was the same exact thing. It was just like, I have this existing video catalog that goes back like 10 plus years. Right. And I just started cutting up stuff and putting it on TikTok and shooting some additional or like original content for TikTok, but mostly just posting stuff I already posted before. And it was a good like four to six months before anything connected. And that's advice I would give people listening that if they want to connect on TikTok or really any platform, you can't expect quick results. It can happen. Sure. But you just kind of have to like continuously, you know, throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And for me, it was the baby bodyguard content. And that just like really, (laughs) really, thanks, man. It's so absurd. Uh, so it's absurd. ridiculous. Not and, that I want to spoil very, the magic. I don't want to spoil the oh, magic. Oh, no. I mean, it, it is what you think. But, the title explains it. But um, do you have, I mean, those people that you're shoving around and pushing around, are those, I mean, they're plants, right? I mean, you're not actually mostly, abusing people. Mostly? Mostly. <laughs> mostly. There's been, a, there was a couple people that kind of wandered up and we, most of the people are, are plants, but I don't like to tell people on TikTok that because no, that kind of like spoils the magic. But right. But yeah, I mean, that was the first thing that connected on TikTok and it just, it was surreal how quick, how quick it's grown. And that was like September, 2020. And I'm almost at a million followers. It, it's just, that's so crazy. amazing. I mean, I, I, you know, kudos to you for actually holding on to those things. You got a whole bunch of stuff in the can. You didn't really have a platform for it. I'm not saying you personally, but you know, there's, um, I was no, talking yeah. to, I was talking to a, a horror director, Damien Leone, um, and he was talking about how he documented absolutely everything. You know, there there was mm-hmm. never a time you'd find Damien without a JVC camcorder doing something. And I mean, and he was uh-huh. editing in the camera. I mean, he was, you know, he was really he was shooting the edit. I mean, he was that committed. And for you to to have this this platform like TikTok come along that lets you kind of recycle these things and revisit things and maybe even absolutely. inspire you to redo things. I, I think that's great. Like, yeah, I mean, we shot the baby bodyguard like four years before I posted it on TikTok. And like, there was also a video I did where like, like I was really let down with the results of it when I originally posted it in like 2013. It was a video where I was, I don't know if you saw it. I fought my 10 year old self. Yes. Um, yes, I did. So that obviously took some dedication <laughs> and I put it out in 2013 and it was so let down with the results of YouTube. It was decent, but like, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like I'm sitting on a million view video Oh yeah, and it got, you know, a 10 to 20,000, which is great for YouTube, but definitely not what I was expecting. I reposted it on TikTok in 2021 or something and like 4 million views. And yeah. you just, so you just, also, like you just said, like if repost content, mm-hmm. recut content, right. uh, don't, if, if you'd believe in a piece of content and it didn't connect the first time, mm-hmm. either take it down or repost it in like four to six months or even sooner. Like, right. How quickly, no, like, how quickly they forget. Right. Right. You're so right. And I mean, <laughs> dude, but I've been, I haven't shot a new baby bodyguard video in <laughs> two years. I'm just recycling footage. I'm releasing footage that I never released and oh, recutting so good, footage, retooling footage. And I need to shoot more, but they're just truthfully such stressful shoots, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, but it's a good thing that you, and uh, it's a good thing that you're, you're kind of a bigger guy too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I'm not so much right. And I'm not much of a fighter. So, um, well, I don't, putting myself I, in that I mean, position is, um, you, you just never know. You never, know. I don't like fighting. I don't like conversation. And that's <laughs> funny coming from somebody who used to be a professional wrestler. Oh yeah. Like, we're going to get there. I, I definitely like using like my physique or my size to my advantage. And that like, I think that helps with like the baby bodyguard videos. Cause it's just like two big dudes and a 
baby out in public, like we don't really get messed with. And, and it, but it is so stressful because like the kid is just wandering and the, his dad's behind the camera. And I'm just like, we are fully responsible for this child in public and right. anything could happen. But yeah, no, those are, uh, that was kind of the thing that really first connected on TikTok, And then since then, it's just, you know, testing out characters. Some have connected, some haven't. Um, you know, I repost things and it'll connect at different times. It's, TikTok, there's no method. You just have to like test things. Right. How did you come up with Shane? I mean, how could you not come up with Shane? Oh, my influencer? Your influencer, yeah. I thought you meant like myself. I oh, was no, like, no, that no. is the deepest yeah, question is, I've ever heard. That is very existential. I, I'm taking a page from <laughs> Descartes. I started right? crying. I mean, oh, yeah. I never really thought. Um, oh, I made him weep. It was, it was after I, I was doing this, Chris, hopefully Chris Pratt, Shane Harlan show in Los Angeles for like several years. And then after it, I needed, I was one trying to come up with an original show idea. And it was just like, you know, the Jake Pauls and Logan Pauls were kind of, nobody had made fun of them to the extent that I felt, right. felt like they should be made fun of. Yeah. At the and time. that was and, a sweet spot too. Like that was a great yeah. time to be taking the piss out of these guys. And it's, it's before, yeah, and so before they could beat you up in a, in a boxing ring for sure. Exactly. A hundred percent. So yeah, that was pretty much it as I was like, oh man, they just need to be made fun of and Absolutely. picked on. No, you did good. I the the new oh, one um that I'm I'm actually a, a huge fan of. My daughter thinks it's the funniest thing ever. And it's your emo guy. Will I'm be. having so much fun with it. And I've actually like tested that at comedy shows in front mm -hmm. of people and it's so fun the reaction it gets. And I think it's because so many people either went through an emo phase and every time I say that, like I, I lead into that character at comedy shows by I asked the audience, did anybody out here go through an emo phase? And I'm not even kidding. Every audience, somebody responds with, it's not a phase. Um, and like, so I just think, you know, relatable characters obviously like connect yeah. with people. No, this is true. I, I really want to talk to, I want to, I want to get into the wrestling thing. When I was yeah. a kid, um, I ate, slept and drank wrestling. I did stop growing and I, I didn't see too many wrestlers that were, uh, that were, uh, that were about my height. How did you get into that? What led mm. you to, to the world of wrestling? Growing up, I was, I, I always wanted to be involved in entertainment and I kind of told myself it's either wrestling or acting. And then I, I got to a point where I was like, Oh, maybe I could do wrestling to get into acting, sure. which is a path, but it is a path. very difficult path. It's and then I'll, path. I'll, it is a path. Yeah. And I'll never forget. I went to like, uh, it was a SmackDown, a SmackDown event and like, 2003 or something and there was a, like some dude outside just passing out flyers he's like i, I have a wrestling school and he said he wrestles he trains like teenagers and stuff too like Amazing. not just teenagers but he additionally like can train a teenager and so i was like 15 at the time not shouldn't have been training to be a wrestler at 15 <laughs> um, but i uh, the next week i went i'll never forget after i my first training session my dad took me uh, I look, I, uh, we were driving home and I was like, you know, maybe I, I'll just be a manager. Cause it was brutal. It was mm -hmm. so painful. And I'm so glad he told me this, but he's like, no, you're going to see this through. You're going to do it. So, you know, I trained, I trained, um, I, I, you never really stopped training in wrestling. And I, I trained uh, for several years, but I started wrestling professionally, I guess, it, on the independence when I was 17. Okay. And I, I started as a heel, um, which didn't work because I just like, I mean, I, I had fun with it, but I started as this ladies man, oh, there we go. Sugar Shane Hartline. Oh, nice. And, Great name. <laughs> and walked, I was like 17, walked out of the ring with these like hot chicks and people in this redneck town absolutely hated me so i, I guess i did my job you but did your job but i kept having like all these promoters be like you got to be a baby face because like i just looked like a, you know a baby face like the typical baby face wrestler right and i had like long shaggy hair at the time and i'll never forget i was like working out in my parents garage and my dad walked out one day and this was when i was just getting into wrestling and he comes up to me and he says i had it was so i mean, he's never like acted like this or said anything and it was just so different and strange of him but he's like i had a dream last night your wrestling name is going to be rip malibu and you're going to be a surfer oh no and i was like that is genius so wow, i started that. i created this character rip malibu rip and it malibu. like it really took off i like you know i i got a quick 
interest in wrestling and and within a year or two after doing that character there was a little bit of interest in the WWE because they you know had the developmental system happening and sure. at that time when I I mean there was a lot more that went into me quitting wrestling full time but at that time I just diving headfirst into YouTube and that's where my passion was and I just and I just didn't have the passion for it anymore and so when I found out they were interested I just like I was like, ah, eh, I don't really want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And isn't that, it's funny that that's when that happened is when like, after all this work I put into it, right? like it's like, was showing promise. I was, I was like, I don't, I don't really want to do this anymore. Like there uh, were other factors that bled into it, but right. that I, I probably shouldn't talk about, uh, but but yeah, I just, man, YouTube, once that happened, it just like, it just blew my mind it changed everything this is philosopher's corner right what do you think of that that was nice. did you how long did it take you to produce that and oh it's 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 just wow. the, the thing you do to to lead up to it. what are we going to do so anyway the gist here is <laughs> i ask a couple of questions you know and it's okay, random okay. completely random you might get a softball you might get a fast pitch. You might get a curveball, right? Or you might okay. get, you know, something off the top turnbuckle. It's uh, it's Ooh. just an insight into who you are as a, as a person, Shane. As a person. Well, let's do this. All right. Let's do it. Oh, this is a good one. This is a softball. So, okay. Shane, if you could change just one thing in the world, what would it be? Oh. Just one thing. I mean, Don't be greedy. My... My uh, my gut is saying truthfully, racism. Excellent answer. It's all that needs to be said. All right, it's time for another one. Can a person be happy if they have never experienced sadness? I don't think so. No, I mean you have to. Hmm. Dang, that's kind of right? blowing my mind. I don't believe so. I think that to understand what true happiness is, you have to feel the exact opposite wouldn't you say i would think so it's philosophical yeah. i wouldn't say it was a right or wrong answer but i think sure, that's sure. the direction that we want to go you're blowing through i've never these, dude. been sad though so i don't know <laughs> i feel like there's a little sarcasm there uh my emo character on the other hand oh yeah no sad all the time absolutely okay we're gonna get weird now okay um do you think that computers will ever take over the world as we know it 100 percent a hundred percent. And I think, I think we're, we're in the midst of the transition. I think that it is the next evolution of humans. Okay. Um, the next evolution I think of humans are half, half human, half computer in okay. a sense that we're going to start doing chip implants and, sure. um, and that sort of thing. And then the evolution past that I think is just, uh, robots and, until that eventually sort of we become more machine than man, right? Like Darth Vader. Yeah. Well, I yeah. got you. Got you. Well, that was uh, that was lovely. You did a, a fantastic job. I mean... Did I get 100%? I'm going to give you 110% because, as you know, oh. there can only be 110% of anything. Thank you. That was Philosopher's Corner. Thank you. Well done. You made it. Well, thank you. So when they said they were going to remake Stephen King's It, mm -hmm. um, first of all, there'd been rumors for- What was your, can I ask you, because I, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this, but like, I'm going to be selfish and ask right. you, when you first heard that news, what did you feel? How did you feel? Um, I thought, again, and I'll say that <laughs> because they've been threatening up to that point, maybe three or four times to remake this thing. Really? I didn't oh, know yeah. that. No, no. Uh, and I, I think the last, the second to the last iteration was with um, with Kerry Fukunaga, who was like super hot shit because he had just done um, True Detective. Um, mm, and it has this wow. amazing style. Can you imagine style. what a different movie that would have been? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But his style, I thought, was so supremely fitting to this, that this this has to be a thing now. Um, and it was. I mean, the first, the first... It chapter one, or just it, Ugh. if you will. I'm I'm pretty sure um, that's based primarily on the the Fukunaga treatment. 
So, really? yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, part of me was like, great. I mean, this is, this is awesome. I'm, I'm just, you know, newly minted 40 year old and I'm going to be a classic, you know, put up on the shelf. <laughs> awesome. You know, at the blockbuster video, you know, that's it. It's over, man. It's over. They can't coexist. You know, that's better. Um, you know, but turns out there is room for, for both. Right. And I was just thinking, mm-hmm. I was just thinking, and because I'm so proud of it, I, I really am proud of this old miniseries. Um, and so much of it still holds up. I thought, why? As we, you should be. Why do we need to do that? But then once I started seeing the people that were attached to it, I was like, okay, this is going to be a roller coaster. This is going to be awesome. Maybe mm-hmm. finally we've reached a point with technology, with, um, with audiences that they can stomach as much of this as they can. Because the book, I mean, it's a, it's crazy. It's nonlinear and it's brutal. Um, mm. How much of that are they going to get into this? I, I was genuinely curious because as our director says, you know, we had uh, champagne dreams, but a beer budget. Hmm. So, you know, and, and working with the restrictions of television, working with the restrictions of, of television in 1990 and starting principal photography five or six months before the scheduled air date. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah. I mean, we, it was, it was shot hard and fast, um, but with a you know huge crew. I mean, the resources were amazing, but it was, it was hard and fast. Anyway, long story short, ready for this thing to happen. There was, you know, there was a lot of interest again in the miniseries leading up to, yeah. to this. So I started getting on social media again and I, I somehow, somehow you and I crossed paths and yeah. And I'm trying to remember how I saw it. Um, but someone had posted your audition for the adult role of Ben and you know, having been out of the business for a while, you know, knowing a lot of people are doing things like self-taping, the fact that you literally put together a short film of Ben Hanscom as he is preparing to go back to Derry from the book, you know, at the bar with Ricky mm-hmm. Lee, which is how I thought it was going to go. And I saw that and I was like, that's Ben right there. Oh my God, dude. Well, I thought I you. was so blown away. But at the same time, I, you know, I was just starting to think, Andy had already asked me, uh, to, to be in chapter two. So uh-huh. I thought, okay, great. You know, here's a, a little nugget getting thrown my way. I'm, I, maybe I can start auditioning again. Maybe I'm in a place where that makes sense for me to do that now. And I see your audition and I'm like, okay, you know what? Screw this. There's no way. There's no oh, way no. if well, this is how it's got to be, that's how it's got to be. So when I had dinner with Andy, um, the couple of days before we shot, you were like the first topic of conversation. I was get like, the, get no, out. honestly, I was like, Andy, tell me the truth. Is, is this the kind of shit I'm going to have to do in order to, <laughs> to, I mean, am I going to have to produce a film every time I want to audition for a role? I mean, I'm out of it. So, you know, is this what's up? And he's like, no. But that was no, the it's most, not, dude. He said, but no, but that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And oh my God. Yeah, no, he was, I mean, it was legendary, you know? And so we, we talked well, about the table with the, with the special effects guys. And, and it, I mean, we, we talked about you for like a half an hour. It was, uh, oh my God. Well, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that did great. is awesome. Uh, I mean, I can, I mean, I knock on wood, I can't wait and hope to work with him, but I mean, the story in a nutshell, I was uh, watching it with, I was watching it like it had already been out on DVD at this point. I was watching it the Christmas, Christmas, December, 2017, 2017 Christmas with my sisters. What a Christmas movie, but right. Uh, But we were watching it around Christmas. And I I remember looking at um, Jeremy uh, playing Ben Hanscom Mm -hmm. and I knew they were working on or in development of chapter two. Right. And I was like, God, I, I it just hit me. I was like, man, I feel like I kind of resemble him. Like, I feel like I could maybe play the adult version, but at the time I didn't have, you know, the acting representation at the level that could get me that kind of audition. I just didn't. And I knew it. And that frustrated me. So that frustration leaded and inspired me to like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to put a little bit of money into it. I rented a bar and and I got a, got a buddy together and we wrote the scene and we shot the scene and uh with you know high quality cameras and we put a lot of work into it and yeah you did and and my my mindset was just 
I'm going to shoot this. I'm going to put everything I can into it and then just try to send it out. See who, see who I can get it to. And, uh, one of those people I sent it to, I think I might've sent it to you. I think I might've sent it to like Jeremy's mom. Uh, but one of the people I sent it to on a whim was Andy Muschietti on yeah. his Instagram. Yeah. And knowing and thinking fully that he would never respond, you know, like, no, and he did, but dude, within 10 minutes, he sent me this paragraph, just blown away by it. And I was just humbled and just like, Oh my God. And he basically said, I already have somebody in mind for the character, but when we start, you know, really like think diving in deeper to casting, I'd love to give you a shot. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. And then so two or three months went by and I didn't hear from him. And, you know, and I want to put this out there to actors, like tread lightly if you ever have the idea to do this. If you want to do this, I would only advise actors to do it if it's in this kind of like situation where you know you fit apart this well. Like right. otherwise, you know, don't, I don't advise ever like sending DMs to production people, you know, just be, tread lightly be careful you know be considerate don't don't harass people right um put that disclaimer out there but i did you know go against what i'm just saying after two or three months i i followed up with him i was like hey man just wanted to you know because at that point he he'd responded to me right. he he made the first complimented move. me yeah. he made you know yeah. he created the dialogue and and i didn't abuse it and so i let two or three months go by and and the timing couldn't have been more perfect because I respond or I followed up with him two or three days went by. He responded with simply like, I think he just said, what's your cell phone number? And dude, I lost my mind mm -hmm. and he passed my number to casting. And a day or two after that casting got me the audition information and I was able to read for the part in a, in a traditional audition setting. But oh, that's great. Um, I did it, you know, I created this and I did, you know, I didn't book the part, but like I was able to audition and, and created this, you know, connection with Andy and with you. And, yeah. and the, it was surreal. The it community kind of got behind me as the character for a second. Oh, for it was, sure. for sure. It was a cool couple months, man. It's not, nothing like I'd ever experienced to that point. And uh, no, no, but, but I, I will say this about Andy and about Barbara, they are uh, artists of, you know, real genuine integrity and they do what they, they seem say. to be they do Definitely. what they say so it may not have been the time but there will be a time you know yeah if he says he'd love to work with you he's gonna work with you i mean that's just yeah it. man that's it that's it yeah he's definitely on the list of like top 10 directors i want to work with oh he my just, god I love yeah. everything he makes i can't wait to see I mean, just the fact that he create he's getting to create the opportunity for Michael Keaton to be Batman again is just mm -hmm. so exciting for me. And like, but yeah, man, that is kind of, I believe how we initially connected was, you know, right. your, you being so generous about your thoughts yeah. on what I did. It and was what awesome. I, was I mean, it was, to the character. it was awesome. I mean, I, I, oh, man, I thank just you. can't, uh, I'm just so glad I don't have to do that if that's. I don't need to no, display that, that level of commitment to, to, what to come auditions back. Auditions are like, you know. I, I mean, the game has changed. Obviously, like I think it is important that you have a good self tape setup. But there's by for sure that's you can't you can't do that for every audition. Like it's impossible. No. Let's talk about the hopefully Chris Pratt show. Oh man, what? Where did that come from? I wish you know again one of those things. I wish I had a crazy answer, but it was just truthfully like so many people leading up to doing that show we're just like you look just like him you need to do an impression or you need to do a video and he's one of those guys where he's not he doesn't have that distinctive of a character voice like i do impressions but he doesn't have that distinctive of a character voice that like no i he, felt confident of like a, a killer impression right he's very much but an everyman I, yeah exactly and but then I had this idea of like, what if I do a show or what if I do some kind of publicity stunt to try to get him to a, be in a video or do something with me? Oh, man. And then that truthfully like evolved into I'm going to do this one off stage show called the hopefully Chris Pratt and Shane Hartline show, which was genuinely just supposed to be a publicity stunt. Sure. 
to get him to come to a show with me at this comedy theater. The theater, we did it and it was just like very meta and over the top and ridiculous. And, you know, I, I really made the most of it. And I try to do that with any like stage opportunity I get. But this one especially, like it was my first time at doing a, my own stage show at this theater. And the theater loved it. And they're like, if you want to do this monthly, just keep doing it. And I was like, oh my God, this is like a sandbox. I can do whatever I want. And just with the with the skeleton of this silly show idea. And it got to the point where people like really thought I cared so much about Pratt doing a show with me, which I, I mean, yeah, it was like, if he comes, it'll be amazing. amazing. But I didn't, I did not care. It was just a right. way that I got to do a show every month. Right. And it was, I want to say it was the seventh show. Every show we would do like a different gimmick or a different theme. And, and for months, like leading up to this one show, I had this buddy that did the show with me and he would always be like, yeah, I do yoga with Chris Pratt. And if I ever see him or if we ever, I'm going to, the next time I see him, I'm going to tell him about the show. I'm like, okay. 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 Buddy, sure. Yeah. And so it was the, the morning of like the seventh, the show we were doing and he, I get a text from him and he's like, dude, Chris Pratt's here. I'm going to go talk to him about tonight's show. I'm like, what? okay, yeah, great. He calls me like five minutes later and he's like freaking out. And he's like, dude, Chris Pratt, he knows about your show. He's, he's available this evening and he's going to come do it. So over mm. this whole day, I'm like freaking out and mentally preparing. And also I didn't tell anybody cause I wanted to, except for the dude I produced the show with. Sure. Because I wanted it to be a surprise to everybody, even the people doing the show, right. that he was coming that night. And they're used like, to this gimmick, oh my right? God. They're just, they're just yeah, happy to see yeah. you doing your thing. Exactly. And then we're outside before the show doing a quick run-through rehearsal. The buddy who spoke with him walks up to me, and Chris Pratt is FaceTiming him. I guess what happened is he found out, or, or last minute he had something pop up. It, okay. It's, you know, he, he's kind of the one of the busiest, bu- busiest guys in Hollywood. And, sure. And like... And he's so he was calling to FaceTime the show and he wanted to FaceTime into the show and apologize for not making the show. And I'm so glad there's a few times in our like creative career that like a, a lightning strike happens and a stroke of brilliance will hit us. And like, I'm, I try to be very humble, but this is one of those times where I was like, I had a stroke of brilliance because in that split second, I, I knew that. I needed video of this, not a FaceTime, right. but a video. Cause there were, this was like before iPhones, you could just do a screen record. Right. Um, so I, I, I said, please tell him thank you, you know, but if he can text you a video cause we can broadcast broadcast on the screen during the show. But then I have that video forever right? and I can use it for anything. <laughs> and, and and I have, I've used that video so much and he sent a video and he said my name in it and it was just, and I got so much publicity from it and yeah. it was just. Yeah. You got your little blue a, check mark from that too, if I recall. Right. I mean, yeah. You got, uh, yeah. Like a hundred thousand followers or something like that. Crazy, man. It was so crazy. And That's it was like great. silly when he was with Anna Ferris and I think that they were in the bed like yeah. post, post, oh, um, post coitus for in, sure. Yes. Post coitus. And yeah. He uh, sent a video av- after that to me, and it was just one of those really crazy um, Hollywood moments that I'm sure you've had many of. And uh, not not to just, that extent, my man. Nothing, oh, come on. nothing quite like, like it, that. Surreal, man. Just um, and like he's like I said, I just I've used that video so much. Like you know, that's awesome. Um, Let's talk about creating your own work. May may we? Okay. Um, yes, please tell me about cookie and spasmodic dysphonia yeah yeah so um uh when i was five years old i was uh it was funny i i was in chorus at preschool and we were we were sitting in a circle and we were going around doing like warm-up notes or something and out of nowhere my voice just switched and and i remember going home that night and like you know, speaking and my parents like didn't really think of anything of it. They knew I was goofy and like, you know, it never, the, the, the difference in my voice wasn't consistent. Okay. So it wasn't anything that I think they were too alarmed of at the time. I think they just thought I was being goofy. And then years, years later, like it turned into, Oh, now his voice is just changing. And then after that lasted for much longer than it usually takes for boys, um, but we're like, oh, let's get this checked out. 
And then I, and then I found out I got diagnosed with this very, very rare neurological condition called spasmodic dysphonia, which to put it in a nutshell, spasmodic dysphonia, there's many things that can trigger it. They don't know really what causes it, but what happens in a, in a nutshell is the signal from the part of your brain that controls your speech to your vocal cords. Okay. Some kind of misfire happens that permanently switches the mechanism and permanently causes, um, yeah, I guess you can call it a speech impediment or you can call it whatever you want to, but causes a malfunction for certain people. It causes their vocal cords to constrict, um, I guess spasmodically, um, out of their control okay. for some people it can cause their vocal cords like me to open out of their control, making their voice kind of breathy at times. Okay. And then there's a mixed case where it can happen, you know, in both ways. Um, but yeah, basically I, I found out I got this and, um, and what's crazy about spasmodic dysphonia is, is I believe like 90% of cases, and there's not many people with this condition, but mm -hmm. 90% of cases you get in your like forties and fifties. So I've been to doctors that were just like, they were marveled that like, I got it at so young and like what caused it? And, and, you know, I had a great childhood, nothing traumatic to trigger it. And, right. you know, it can literally be just, you get it. And that's what's happened to sadly so many people is like, they just wake up and they get it. And it's just, it can be debilitating. And fortunately for me over the years, it's, it's gotten to such a mild case and hasn't like come in the way too much of my my passion, but my passion has always been acting. It's always been to be a performer. So it has definitely, it's been my one, my one thing, you know, I think as, as performers, we, we all have one thing that we're like, man, if I could just get past this, sure. I'll be perfect. And for years, I always like blamed it. I, I hated it. I put so much negative energy around it. And cookie really kind of needed to happen for me. And, and basically what I did is I just wrote version of my story, but through the voice of another character, but not only my story, but everyone's with the conditioning because there's never, there never to that point was representation of spasmodic dysphonia in the form of a film or in a media whatsoever. And so I was like, well, I feel like I'm worthy of telling the story, but I didn't know for sure. So what I did is I went to, there's a support group on Facebook and I kind of told everybody my idea. And I, I, I had every intention of just making this thing on a shoestring budget for like 1500 bucks. Like I've done many shorts and I approached the community with like my idea and what I wanted to do. And I had never to that point experienced like the outpouring of support, um, uh, of people like, yes, please, how can we help? And I was like, right. Oh man, like I, I might be onto something bigger than I, I imagined here. I had done a Kickstarter, you know, crowdfunding thing a couple of years before that and didn't know what I was doing whatsoever. And it kind of, it flopped and I failed. And, but I was like, you know what, maybe I should do a fundraiser and try to do this thing right. And got with a uh, line producer, worked up a budget, then got with a Kickstarter coach, which was game changer. And long story short, we ended up raising like 50 grand to make this and, oh, amazing. and make it more than I ever could have imagined. Right. Like, make it, it was right. Just, make it. Yeah, man. Because I just, you know, I'm all about making things for nothing or, you know, with a dream budget. And this was an opportunity that I got to tell this story that needed to be told right on a dream budget. And, you know, we got great distribution on YouTube through Amuleto and right. you can go on YouTube right now and search cookie short film and it pops up and I am just so, so proud of it. And the reception was amazing. Um, oh, thanks man. You know, and representation is everything. I had no idea what this was and, and watching you work, I would never have guessed for a moment that there was any, you know, neurological issue or any, any issue mm. with your voice whatsoever. So, I mean, you kind of hit it on, on two different fronts with cookie. I mean, you're, you're working, you're you're working through your you know challenges but you're yeah. also raising uh, an incredible awareness i mean I'm just going to say i think that the, the best thing that i took well, so many great things came from cookie like i mean one of the craziest things is i got to meet somebody with the condition for the first time you know that was a 
beautiful moment. And, but then also the thing that like has been life changing for me and kind of career changing too. And like, I'm not definitely where I want to be in this journey, but like just getting to a place of embracing this part of myself instead of hating it, like is just been the best shift that I could have imagined and, and really trying to fully or start the journey and getting to a place of just making it a part of how I tell stories and, and how I am an actor and how I'm different instead of thinking I need to be a certain way. And, and why can't there be actors with more actors with vocal conditions? Like we're all human and we all paint pictures differently. And I, I paint it this way. And I, and I, and I spent so many years because I had a few bad experiences on a set with not speaking up for myself and like, just being like, this is just my voice. This is how it is. And, 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 and when somebody questioned it uh, and was like, what, what's wrong with you? It, it just regressed me back to like those teenage high school years where people would bully me and, right. and I would just start to crumble. And now I'm trying to, you know, or I'm now I'm really on a journey of, you know, sticking up for myself more, just saying what it is. And, and 99% of the time people are fine with it. And, mm. Or they don't even notice it. And, and, you know, so it's, I'm, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I definitely cookie helped me start the process of taking this, taking a bag. I like, uh, this is the best way I illustrate it. I felt like for years I had a bag of rocks on my shoulders of not, not being as open as possible with this condition and the, the putting out cookie and the whole process really has started to feel like I'm taking one rock out at a time. And it's just, I'm not where I want to be yet, but like, I'm definitely in the right direction. Is there a, like an organization that you're working closely with? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think they've, they've recently changed their name, but it was the national spasmodic dysphonia association. But I think they go by just the, uh, I can look it up right now. um, Is that the dysphonia international I think it's just, now? yeah, now it's just okay. dysphonia, the dysphonia association, because they're trying to be more open to other local dis- conditions. But yeah, they, they, um, gave, they also gave me their blessing with cookie and did so much in helping get the word out there and, you know, um, support it. And it was just, they've been great people to work with. Now, this is a horrible segue, but Rock of Ages. My agent got me this audition and an audition for one part. I got a call back for two different or for one other part. And then what was even crazier is I got invited to the table read to help read for a bunch of the bit parts. So oh my goodness. That was the one of the most terrifying experiences that I ever had had. And I mean, that's a table the, read with like Russell oh, Brand a, and everybody, and everybody. Tom, uh, Tom Cruise. I almost said Tom Green, uh, Tom Cruise, Russell Brand, Alec Baldwin, Brian Cranston, r- literally Paul Giamatti sitting right next to me. And then you have like three, three of us, like no name actors reading bit parts. And, and I didn't know yet that I had booked it. I mean, obviously that was very promising. And so I'm doing this table read and I'll never forget. It was just in this massive studio with hundreds of people. Like you had executives, you had dancers, you had singers because we read the script, excuse me. And then you, where the music would happen, they, the actors would sing the songs and the dancers would be over here dancing the music. And I'm just like, what is going on? And the worst part of the whole time I had to pee so bad, but I'm not going to be the guy that like gets up and goes to pee. No, not next me? to Paul Giamatti. No, no. Um, so I, once it was over, I fully believe that I bombed it and I'll never forget uh, seeing the casting director, Ellen Jacoby, such a sweetheart. She comes up to me. She tells me, you know, the director is the, He's not really because I I was like reading a re- I was originally being considered for like rocker guy in audience or something like that, and the, she comes up to me and she's like, you know what, the director's really not thinking about you for this other part or this rocker guy part anymore. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course, because I bombed it. I mean, I I know I did. Oh, and he's like selling yourself short. Mind- <laughs> I mean, imposter syndrome, dude. Full imposter syndrome right. in full effect at that point. 
And she's like, she's thinking about you for this other new part, Jimmy, the bartender. And I'm like, Oh, probably has no lines, probably just a background part. And I found out like a week or two later, no, um, it isn't a background part is actually a, you know, bigger part. And, um, the director really liked me from the table read, which, you know, uh, I don't most, some people listening to this may not know, but like table reads are kind of another audition, you know, you got to treat them very seriously. And, and so, yeah, I got this part of Jimmy, the bartender worked a whole month on the movie. Like I had one scene, but anytime that the bourbon room in the movie was seen, they right. needed me. You needed to be there. A, oh, a blessing financially. Like yeah. I had never experienced. And I knew I was like, cause I, up to this point, I was considering going to Los Angeles and I was like, I got to go now, or I'm just going to waste all this money. And it, it was what opened the door for me to move to Los Angeles. Well, you're playing with their money now. You know, that's, that's the way you got to look at it. You're, you're playing with their right. money now. So here we are. You're, you just finished a season of station 19 on ABC. Big deal. I did. I mean, that's huge. Right. What did you say? I, I, I didn't hear you. Did you say how I feel? How do I feel? No, what I said, that's huge. Uh, oh, thanks man. You know, yeah. how, what's next? Shoot. I mean, hopefully more on that show. I mean, it was just a um, blessing like, and you know, it, it was a one line audition that was only supposed to be one episode, one or two episodes. And I was there for the full season. Yeah. And it just was, they let me be me and they let me be goofy. And they were just such a surrounded by such a good group of people. It's, it's hard not to get, um, to fall in love with it and want to be back there. So, you know, I've had so many of the the station 19 fans who are diehard fans they are. and such great fans. Like how they keep asking me all the time, are, are you going to be back? Are you going to be back? And like, all I say is I hope so. You know, it's right. just was a, um, such a fun, fun gig. No. And, and it looks like a great ensemble too. And they were all, oh, yeah. all like very, happy to participate in your backstage shenanigans with, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have fun, you know, that's, uh, that's beautiful. I, well, I hope, I hope, I hope you get some more, some more seasons out of that. We'll see. Well, Shane, I can't thank you enough. Oh man. Thank you, dude. Thanks this for, has been so nice. And thanks for hanging out with maybe me. Maybe one day while. we'll have a, a real in-person coffee hangout. Oh, or I just think keep doing podcasts. We oh, can just do podcast hangouts forever. Too. It, it, it is the future. It is the future. <laughs> well, Shane, for someone who almost ruined acting for me, you turned out to be pretty okay. Um, I'm glad we finally got to connect. It only took four years. We're going to have to have you back because I think we've got a lot more to talk about. Shane Hartline, everyone. ShaneHartline.com. He's also on Instagram and TikTok. This is the Errorist Podcast with Brandon Crane. We'll talk to you next week.